come out and really go to bat for a guy like Skaronsky and say, this is somebody that absolutely doesn't meet the usual benchmarks for physical traits of attack. However, he's the best lineman prospect in this draft. Welcome into the Hot Read Podcast. This is day five live from Indianapolis. We're at the NFL Combine. I'm your host, Easton Freeze, director of published content at broadwaysportsmedia.com. We're also brought to you by the 440 Podcast Network, and I am joined today by two gentlemen. One, as always, producer JT. JT, how are you? I'm great. We had a very busy day, and I'm excited to be here to talk about everything that we saw, uh, both from the interviews this morning as well as the testing. That's right, and we're going to talk about all of those things with special guest that's joining us, Nick Suss. Nick, how are you, man? I, I guess I got to be the yang to the yin. I'm just, it's awful. It's terrible. <laughs> it's a terrible day. No, no, I'm I'm a positive, peppy person who's happy to be talking about stuff and making people listen to my scintillating opinions. That that's are right. Good. And Nick, you 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 cover the Titans for the Tennessean. I do. Been doing that since uh, mid-season this year. Yeah, correct. Halloween, October thirtieth, somewhere around there was my first day. Right, and been been writing, covering sports for a good long while. Yeah, though. about a decade. Covered colleges around the South since two thousand twelve, two thousand thirteen. Uh, bounced around from Georgia to LSU to Southern Miss to Ole Miss, and now I'm here. And now that you all have my resume, pass it along to people <laughs> who need it. I, I guess uh, the the job is to move a lot. I, I, I want to stay here a while though. Um, well, we were talking with Nick today, uh, um, uh, just at the combine, we're watching the testing going on and we decided, Hey, would you want to come and sit in, just do a full show with us? Nick was kind enough to join us. So we appreciate you being here well, and looking forward fair, to, you did ask me yesterday and I slept through this it. This is true. <laughs> it, listen, it's the combine. There's not a lot of sleep to be had. So you have to take it when you can get it. And, uh, I think in hindsight, it actually works out better because we have more to talk about today anyways, with all of the athletic testing that went on. And uh, we were starting with where we started the day, the interviews that went on this morning with the tackles, guards, centers, uh, all the linemen, as well as the running backs. And uh, we've got a couple of things from this morning's discussions uh, and, and podium availability that stood out to us. Nick, obviously, feel free at any time to give your input on these guys. I, I'm sure, sure that you... Um, got to see some of them and there were probably some folks that you got to talk to that we didn't. So we'll, we'll be sure to talk about that. The first guy that I wanted to talk about, oh, and I'm skipping steps here. For those of you that are listening to us live, we appreciate you watching. Uh, if you have been watching all week, super appreciative of that. We've still got one more day of the combine to go tomorrow on Sunday. We'll be live again tomorrow afternoon or evening. Uh, so make sure to tune in there. Make sure to share with your friends, family, retweet, repost, like, all those good things is very helpful. And we appreciate you helping us get the show out there. If somebody who is watching live wouldn't mind going over to Broadway Sports Media on YouTube in the chat there under this live video, giving us the all clear to make sure that we can be seen and heard and everything is coming through nice. Uh, we, we don't want to do a whole show and you can't see and or hear us. So if you could give us a thumbs up there, that would be appreciative. Uh, we'd appreciate that, JT. You keep an eye on that and we'll just go ahead and dive in instead of waiting and vamping for somebody to respond. The first guy that, that I wanted to talk about today was Cody Mock. Now, I have to parse this with the fact that I'm not sure that's how you say his name anymore. I was really confident it's Cody Mock, but then I heard Daniel Jeremiah, who tends to know what he's talking about when it comes to the draft, call him Cody Mauk. 
I don't know if this is like a milk versus the, the old milk scene, like the milk skit on YouTube, milk versus milk. Maybe that's what this is. And it's all the same, but Cody mock out of North Dakota state university, a guy that played tackle is projecting to be a, an interior guy playing guard in the NFL. He's got the most fantastic smile here. That's the first thing that you have to don't sell a, yourself short. It's well, sure. It's the most, it's the most fantastic smile for a prospect. How about that? And it's the first thing you notice uh, when you see him, because this guy, not only is he a ginger with gorgeous flowing locks, got a great flow going on, but he's missing his front two teeth and uh, he owns it. He's smiling all the time. He's not hiding them. Uh, he was asked about that smile. And this is the video explanation of how that came about and why he rocks with no front teeth when he could go to the dentist and get them fixed. Here was his explanation. Uh, seventh grade conference championship basketball tournament. Um, I was just diving for a loose ball, and so was one of my buddies. And uh, I kind of dove right into his head, and uh, my teeth were all kind of <laughs> loose in there. So I had to get sent to the ER. They pulled them out that night, and uh, I went through the process of getting them fixed: retainers, braces, these flippers with teeth, and just all all sorts of stuff. And eventually, I just I kept breaking and losing my retainers all the time. Like, my mom was so mad at me all the time because I have to keep going back to the orthodontist to get new retainers. And eventually, I just kind of stopped wearing it and kind of embraced the whole no two front teeth look. And, uh, you know, I say that I'm going to get them fixed after football, but I don't even I don't even know if I ever will. It's kind of just, I don't really mind it at all. And it's kind of just part of me, I guess. Yeah, has anybody asked you about it in your meetings? I think every team, every person <laughs> I talk to here has, has some kind of question about it. Mock is a guy that I would not mind at all uh, if, if he were to fall. Now, I don't know where on the consensus board he is. He's probably 53, 53 right? So that's what I, I, I had the feeling he would be potentially available on day two. And uh, again, like he, he played, he played tackle fine at the college level, but with his, with his measurements, um, there's, there's a physical limitation there that people are not, we don't know that he's not going to play tackle in the NFL, but it's assumed that he'll probably be moved inside. Nonetheless, really fantastic athlete for his size was a tight end coming out of high school was, I think he actually went to NDSC originally as a tight end, like 90 pounds lighter than he is now and then is now leaving college with uh, much longer hair, a much bigger, brighter smile, uh, and he is now 90 pounds heavier and playing on the offensive line. He's somebody that is for his size, and he's north of 300 pounds. I'm trying to find here. Yeah, 303.66, big fella, not the longest arms in the world. That's why he'd play inside. But for his size, super fluid athlete, um, the, the big question really for me, and we actually talked to our guy, James Foster, a couple of weeks ago on the show about this at a school like North Dakota state, you see guys that often, you know, and that's the kind of school that is, is putting out NFL prospects on a regular basis, but it's hard when you're evaluating the tape because it, it's difficult to, to tell how they're going to translate their level of play against significantly better opponents in the NFL um, than they're playing in, in, you know, North Dakota state games. It's, it's typically a significant mismatch for these guys that are real NFL prospects. And so you kind of want to see them dominate their competition if they're at a smaller school to be able to make the jump to the NFL. But here's the problem. And I guess this will be the launching point for the conversation. 
they do dominate. North Dakota State objectively dominates. They are a true dynasty in the FCS level. What would your estimate be, because I've looked this up, for how many combined Pro Bowls North Dakota State products have made in the 21st century? They've won like eight national championships. They're a true dynasty. Right. How many combined Pro Bowls have North Dakota State players in the last in the last twenty three years since two thousand? Uh, I'll say, I'll say ten. What you got? I'm gonna go a little higher. I'll do fifteen. One Carson Wentz. Well, oh, made wow. a Pro Bowl. <laughs> it's just Carson Wentz. It's just Carson. And right. like, if you look at career weighted approximate value, which I don't want to get too nerdy, but I can show you the list right here. Right. One Pro Bowl from Tyrone Braxton. I think that was in the 80s. You had three Pro Bowls from Steve Nelson in the 70s and 80s. You got Carson Wentz with his one Pro Bowl in his great season before he got hurt. And that's it. It's it's not to say that a player can't come from a small school and succeed. We see it all the time. We see people from small schools thrive at the NFL level. Josh Allen out of Wyoming. I mean, yeah. It constantly happens. But you do also have to acknowledge the flukiness of those things yeah, and the proven commodity factor of people who come from the SEC, people who come from the Big Ten, generally being safer products. I I don't want to compare anything to Malik Willis. I know that's such a specific example, but that's another thing of a guy playing a lower level of competition and you see the speed acts differently. And and I'm not going to sit here. I'm not a tape grinder. I'm not somebody who Mm -hmm. goes on and says, oh, I've seen every second of Cody Mock play. I can tell you if he steps with his left foot stronger or his right foot stronger. I don't know what shoulder he leads with. I don't know where his hand placement is. I know what he played for. I know who he played against. And as somebody who's been following college football rather closely, it's, it's still something that the translation, there's a gap. And Titans fans are seeing it with Dylan Raiden. About to say Raiden's there's, there's, there's a gap there. There is something to be left. And when the gap is conquered, there is proof that these players can be great. And I still want to see Trey Lance be great. And I acknowledge right. that Carson Wentz was somebody who was on a trajectory to be great before injuries derailed his career. But when you look at the long track record, I showed Easton how many North Dakota State players there have been in NFL history. And there's quite a few of them. Famously, Easton Stick, by yeah. the way. My name, my only namesake in the NFL. I it, noticed that one. It does make you think, well, this guy's got to be really good to break the trend. Yes. Instead of, oh, yeah, take a flyer on him. That, mm-hmm. that, I, I'm not ruling him out. I, I'm positive he could be a good player. Anybody who's at the combine could be a good player. But there's going to be some stuff to overcome. Well, that's a fascinating perspective because we talked to our, our friend of the show, James Foster, who is a tape grinder and the, the, the tape grinders agree with you in the sense that he, he wasn't while North Dakota state as a, as a team is dominant at their level. He was not really overpowering consistently his opponent in, in the way that you would like to see again, playing against guys that have no chance, no shot whatsoever to ever play football at a professional level. You, you need to see a guy dominate and, and he's playing a different position in his college tape than he'll probably be playing at the, at the NFL level. So there's a little bit of, of, of different mental gymnastics you have to do there and trying to project what that might change for him moving to the inside. But, but simply as a blocker, he wasn't, he wasn't the guy that many wanted him to be for the level of competition he was playing. And so that's, I think what is the major pause that most have with him as a prospect but the traits are there. 
and you're not a traits guy. We'll, we'll get into the, this. The, the, phys- the physical traits are there. He seems to be the kind of guy from a personal level that you want in your locker room. Super seems like a fun hang. Seems like a guy that would get along. Um, I just don't know if he's going to be able to make that jump. And, and it is one of those things where even when you see smaller school guys come into the NFL and succeed, usually it takes longer than the guys that were playing at Alabama, you know, who, who, the the level of difficulty that the jump is not nearly as as stark. It, it is sure. a transition period there. So with a team like the Titans in particular, and we're not necessarily talking just about Titans, but if you're looking at it from a Titans perspective, hey, they need linemen. This could be a guy that's available at the beginning of day two. They could they could double dip. You could get a tackle and a guard in the first two rounds. You you got to consider the fact that if you were to go with a guy like this. He may not be a day one starter. He may not be any good for a year or two. We know linemen take a long time to acclimate sometimes. So there's an element of risk there. And that's why I don't necessarily know if he's a a great fit for the Titans. And he does give me some pause as to whether or not he'll be able to hang in the NFL. Yeah, there's a big reason why offensive line is the toughest position group on the field to evaluate. And why teams that have offensive line issues tend to take longer to fix their team than teams who have like, oh, we got a hole at receiver. We'll go get a big, tall, fast guy. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. It's it's not that hard to find a receiver. It's not that hard, theoretically, to find a running back or a DB or an edge rusher. These are easier skill positions to figure out versus offensive line. Did you guys see Bruce Feldman's story a couple months ago about the disparity between star rankings for all pro offensive players and all pro defensive players. Yes. It's just talking about how big a mismatch it is for defensive line. Generally, generally speaking, the average this year, the average all pro defensive player was a four and a half star mm-hmm. coming out of high school. And the average offensive player was a two and a half star coming out of high school. <laughs> it's ridiculous because offensive linemen and for some reason, quarterbacks with Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes being a little under recruited out of, High school, Mahomes was a four-star. But nevertheless, uh, the offensive linemen and the tight ends and Travis Kelsey was like a zero-star or something like that. I mean, there were weird, weird things that happened. But the point remains, offensive lines skew things because it's really hard to project who's actually going to be a star. Yeah, yeah, it it absolutely is. Um, Let's go ahead and move on to the next guy we want to talk about here. JT, who was the first guy that that stood out to you? Uh, Yeah, so we're going to stay inside the state of Tennessee here and talk about a guy just down the road in Darnell Wright from Tennessee. He is currently uh, on the big board here. He's 41 um, on the big board. So another guy that could be there in the, in the early second round. But I have, I have a feeling as we have seen him this week and when we get to see him tomorrow in testing, he's going to be someone that is climbing up a lot of people's boards. You think so? I think so. Yeah, he he. And do we have a clip from right? Yeah, so we'll we'll play that clip here in just a minute. He's he's a guy that we have talked about on the show before in the past. The question: If the Titans were to have any interest in him, we'll talk about him as a prospect generally here in a second, not Titan specific. But from a Titans perspective, the question here is: He's a right tackle. He is not a guy that you would probably want to. Uh, I'll I'll say he is not a guy you would want to try to change the side of the ball he is used to playing on in his first year on an offensive line that you completely remake. That brings the question up if they were to have interest in him and the value of getting a guy like him, who I think is a very good tackle, you know what you watch his tape and it's really impressive. I think he may even sneak into the, the end of the first round, but on that right side, the Titans have a year under their belt of develop developing Nicholas Petit Frere. And so the question would be, if you were to just go ahead and take right, and and get get 
either a tackle in this draft or maybe he's the second of two tackles that you draft back to back in the first two rounds. What do you do with Petit Ferrer? Do you move him inside? Do you consider moving right to the inside? There's a lot of questions there. And so it's, it's not quite the perfect fit, but he is a guy that's really talented. Yeah, for sure. I think, remember when we talked to James Foster, how he was one of his guys, even earlier in, in this off season, he was one of those guys that he said, Hey, I, he could be the best tackle in this entire draft. But then as we're talking, I, I think he said, by the way, that he, he would draft Darnell Wright for the Titans and just kick NPF to the curb or inside or make that, him a swing tackle. Yeah. Then that that's what you do since you already have such a big hole on the left side. It feels kind of counterintuitive to spend your resources in developing this other guy in NPF for an entire year and say, all right, we're going to just kind of give up on that, get a new right tackle and still have a gaping hole at left. Now the clip that we have was a conversation or a, rather a quote from Darnell Wright that I, I think we were talking about earlier when he was explaining his success against some of the best talent yeah. he faced this year. Yeah. I want to talk about that in just a moment, but let's hear what he had to say about that. Um, during the week, I was, I was kind of just uh, uh, breaking him down like I break down every other player. And uh, I kind of picked up on some things. I'm not sure if I've ever played him again, so I think I can say uh, So I picked up on some things that I thought I could do. I thought I could, I thought I could set each play um, pretty standard, like an inside-out set. There's more to it, but it was just, I knew I could be, I, I knew I could just take it very simple and just um, do good. Was he running a lot of speed to power kind of stuff? Yep. yep. Which, which team? I think that probably started like um, beginning of my junior year. And I just, I don't know, it's a little bit taking taking advice from the people that came before you. I mean, you have guys like Trey Smith, um, you have guys like Cade Mays. I mean, they're, they're pros at the highest level, you know what I mean? And the way that they carried themselves and the way that, and I just, I kind of picked up on some of the things that they did and try to implement that into my game. And I believe at the beginning of that, he's talking about facing uh, Alabama star Will Anderson, potential number one overall pick in this draft. He's talking generally, and this is how you summed it up to me, that they're really great players, but the, the approach isn't all that difficult. And that's kind of the way that he plays on tape. When you look at the tape, he's a guy that's just kind of hanging out back there, having a good time and having his way with his opponent. Yeah, I, I'm not one who's prone to hyperbole. So when I tell you guys that Darnell Wright was the most impressive interview of the week for me, I, I really came away impressed with the way he explains football. Really? It's it's kind of rare for a football player to be so willing to talk process. I spent a lot of time in locker Especially room. Especially at a 15-minute yeah. window of, And yeah. so did you guys play the clip? Obviously, I don't have the headphones in. Was it yeah. just about Will Anderson or was he it also was talking about Ojolari? Both. He was talking about both okay. guys, yeah. So, so the context of that clip, I can't remember who asked the question, but he spoke at length about the difference between preparing for speed rushers, finesse rushers, and power rushers. Was that what he was talking mm -hmm. about in there? Um, the interesting thing about that is the tape, the preparation, the awareness to be able to not just break down what people are doing, but identify what people are doing. There's a coach-like mentality there to be able to figure out player strengths and weaknesses and figure out how to exploit them and also be able to know how your game applies to those things. You have to be a really malleable player to do that. And then when you consider that Tennessee was playing in a warp speed offense, averaging close to 80 plays a game at times last year, the fact that he was able to process this so quickly, process these things on the fly, I asked him about this. I said, 
how did tempo affect this? How did having to snap the ball every 20 seconds change the way that you prepared? And he said, well, the good news was the defensive players were always out of position. So I always knew I could get something to take advantage of that. Right. And then he says, but the bad news was the defensive players were always out of position. So they could do whatever they wanted. <laughs> it's, it's a they, they wild be, card, yeah. They might be lined up outside. They might be lined up inside. They might just be like, I, I got to go. The ball got snapped. So you have to be able to react. And he was joking about when he got to the senior bowl, he was sitting at the line of scrimmage and thinking, I have three more thoughts per play Mm. of I'm at the line of scrimmage. I'm processing and I'm seeing it. It's like taking the donut off your baseball bat when you're in the on deck circle and suddenly you're swinging. That's a great comparison. It's it's like there is something to be said about what Tennessee was doing last year. And I'm sure we can talk about Hooker and Hyatt and Tillman and all these Mm. guys as well when we talk about their offense, but there's something to be said of going from, if it is the Titans, going from an offense where you're expected to run 80 plus plays per game to an offense where you'd be comfortable running 45 so long as you controlled the game the way you want to. That's an advantage. You don't inherently need to go fast to play well, but for somebody who has played well fast, it would be a weight off to just be able to down block as a right tackle. Right, like, right, 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 right. There would be so hey, much. Hey, do the thing you do well over and over. Right. And just just do that. Yeah. And you got a 248-pound running back behind you who's going to be fine. Exactly. Like, it's, it's freeing. And he's still going to have to prove that he can play the game well mm-hmm. at the next level. I don't think any of this is a guarantee. All we've talked about so far is process, is approach, which... Again, incredible approach. I I really respect the approach there. And the production was off the charts last year. He was a really good... Did he allow a sack last year? It doesn't look like it. He allowed... Yeah, he allowed no sacks, two quarterback hits, six hurries on nearly 900 snaps. And and when you have that sort of production and that sort of process, and when Will Anderson is saying you're the toughest guy he went against all year, and when you have that respect, and when he shut down B.J. Ojolari as well, and obviously the... Georgia game didn't go Tennessee's way, but I don't remember him being the problem. Yeah, the problem no. was Hendon did, lost his accuracy no, no, miraculously. No, Sidetrack, but what Georgia did so well in that game was they said, throw short, we're going to tackle you. Fair. Like, Fair. <laughs> it didn't help that Hooker had his worst yeah. game passing he, as well. He, he did. Yeah, but what yeah. he, the reason was Georgia said, we have the athletes that can tackle your receivers on the perimeter. Nobody else does. Right, right, right. Which is a very specific Georgia and thing. The, but, and the protection wasn't yeah. the problem. Darnell Wright wasn't the problem. But not to digress. And I've uh, bogarted this segment from you guys talking. <laughs> no, so you guys can, no, please. You can, you we can talk th- every show. You're only here today. So we're going we're gonna to keep it up. And you mentioned that he he – he really got better when he managed to start being able to play fast mentally and physically. If he can play fast, it's a, it's a lethal combo because he, it's impossible for him not to play big. He's huge. Yeah, sure. Six, six, three thirty-five. He's got some of the best functional strength of anybody in the, in the draft class. And um, he, he just, when you, when you watch the tape and everything that I read from, from different analysts and, and draft evaluators that who I trust that's the thing that sticks out to everybody is this guy just plays in a way where he looks like from a strength perspective, he is a, a man amongst boys. He is having his way with people and at times relatively easily. Mm-hmm. It seems um, he, he does, by the way, and I'm, I'm looking at the overview of him here. I, d- I didn't realize this. He does have a full year under his belt at left tackle. Wasn't a good, wasn't a good year. He's played full years, both at right and left. 
draft evaluators that I trust who know offensive line evaluation much better than I do. Cause like you said, it's very difficult and you, it's got a niche thing to know um, in terms of being a decent evaluator. They have more than one has reliably informed me that this guy's going to be a, a right tackle in the NFL. So I don't want that fact to get anybody's hopes up that he could come in and be the Titans left tackle. He's also a guy that we saw, and maybe this is a good thing. Maybe it's not. He's played a ton of snaps. I think it's, it's yeah, yeah. He's played almost 2,800 career snaps in college, which for a lineman, you know, you don't necessarily love guys coming into the NFL that don't have as much tread on the tires as others. But because offensive linemen typically take a while to develop, it's so um, technique-based. It is something that you, you really have to put multiple years of work in to be, unless you're just a freak athlete and an enigma, you have to put multiple years of work in to learn and be good at the, at the position. He's had a ton of time in college as a senior to, to develop as, as best he can at that level. So he's going to come in as probably as developed as he could possibly be um, in, into the NFL level. And, and he's a guy that we saw dramatic improvement from year to year, his, his first season, or excuse me, his second season in 2020, 53.5 PFF grade increased almost 10 points year on year. And then this past season, 71.4 PFF grade um, with, with again, a full season and nearly 900 snaps under his belt and his, in his best year of pass blocking to be sure. I want to, I want to ask you about this. Um, this is more an overarching Titans draft question. Yeah. And then we can move on. But what, what sticks out about Wright is not his, I mean, he's a fine run blocker, but he's his production again, zero sacks, two hits, six hurries on almost 900 snaps of those 900 snaps over 500 of them were pass blocking snaps. He's, he's a fantastic pass blocking tackle. The Titans have not necessarily been fantastic in their pass blocking as a unit for a while now they clearly need guys that can pass block their mo is to go looking for guys that can run block obviously because that's a fundamental element of their offense but would it not be nice for them to just get a guy that maybe needs a lot of help or needs a lot of development in the run game but can already pass block I'm going to try my hand here as a master segue artist. So okay. give me a great after the segue I will. is done. But so to answer the question, the outside zone scheme is generally pretty easy on offensive linemen. I'm right. not saying it's easy for offensive linemen, but relatively easier on them. There's, from a... there's less pulling. Yes. There's less crossing. Like... It's usually just every student body, the right, student the, body left. The minutiae of the scheme is the scheme simpler right. as, a, as a run blocker. So it shouldn't be that tricky of a transformation, but so, in a, in a past life of mine, I, I was about 10 years ago covering the Philadelphia Phillies. And I, I went to cover a game at their double-A park because they had a lot of really high prospects in double-A. That sounds so fun. And I noticed that like six of their best prospects in double-A were drafted as shortstops. Mm. And they were all playing. Some One was in left field, one was in second base, one was at third base, one was in right field. Obviously, one was playing shortstop. He right. was the best prospect of them all. Mm -hmm. And you ask the manager and you ask people from the development department and from spring training, what are you doing? Why are you drafting so many shortstops? And they say, they're the best players. Mm. High school shortstops where you stick your best player. So we're going to draft the best players. We're going to draft the nine best guys we can get. And we're going to teach them how to play baseball. That's what you got to do with offensive linemen sometimes. Mm. I'm not saying that 
it doesn't help to have a tackle who's prototypical or a guard who's prototypical or a center who's prototypical. But sometimes you need nine shortstops because the nine shortstops are the nine best players. Sometimes you need just your five best offensive linemen and you worry about positional fit later. You figure out how to make your best players make your team the best. And I think there's a great example of that in college football. There's a school called The Ohio State University. I've heard of that one, yeah. Which, master segue artist here, mm-hmm. uh, had a player named Nicholas Petit Frere playing mm-hmm. left tackle mm-hmm. his, his final season in Columbus. Sure. Uh, transferred over to right tackle his rookie year with the Titans, who wasn't playing left tackle that season because Nicholas Petit Frere was playing left tackle. Who, who had to bump inside to guard? Might that be Paris Johnson I Jr.? I think it might be Paris Johnson that Jr. Is, that, and that is an A-plus transition from you, a way to fit right in onto the show format here. That's the next guy we're talking about, Paris Johnson Jr., the consensus number one guy Titans fans as of February, the end of February, beginning of March, want to see at 11. But the, the narrative tied on him has kind of shifted, and we've been talking about th- that this week. There's a real divide amongst draft experts as to whether or not he is the best tackle in the in the class. It really comes down to, if you can ask a draft analyst, do you think Skaronsky is a guard or a tackle? If he answers, answers tackle, well, then Paris Johnson's not his number one tackle. Sure. But if he he says that Skaronsky's a guard, there's a chance that Johnson is his number one tackle. With, with Paris Johnson, who, JT, do we have a clip from Paris today? I don't think we do. Okay, so we'll just talk about him because he is the front of mind for most Titans fans. I think, and I think we were talking, if we weren't talking about this yesterday, we'll talk about it now. I think the narrative tide is going to shift for these two players in Titan circles over the next month, month and a half. As we get closer and as more people weigh in with informed opinions on whether or not Skaronsky should be considered a tackle in the NFL or a guard, um, and whether or not a a guy like Paris Johnson is worth an 11th overall pick, which I'm hearing more and more in the really the last two weeks, folks come out who I trust generally in their draft evaluating skills say, I would absolutely not take him at 11. I mean, Greg Cosell told Paul Kaharski this week, point blank, I was standing next to them when they said it. Hey, I would not spend my, the 11th overall pick on Paris Johnson Jr. I don't think that that he is a guy that is worth that that selection. And I don't think that he is anywhere close to like a home a home run tackle selection a blue chip tackle that you want to spend a fringe top 10 pick on. Greg Cosell's a guy that I trust his ability to evaluate players. So that gives me pause. I also hear from folks like Dane Brugler, who is another person that you should trust when it comes to the draft, talk about and really go to bat for a guy like Skaronsky and say, this is somebody that absolutely doesn't meet, doesn't meet the usual benchmarks for physical traits of a tackle. However, he's the best lineman prospect in this draft by a country mile and i think that he deserves a chance to prove in the nfl wherever he goes prove to his team that he is an outlier and despite his arm length he can play on the inside now we do have a couple of clips from skaronsky that we'll get to in a moment not not right now we'll focus on johnson but they they kind of go hand in hand for me um because if the titans go tackle at that first pick as of now, a lot can change, but as of right now, it's it's going to be one of those two guys, if you ask me. I don't see them going tackle at 11 and picking a DeWan Jones or a Broderick Jones. Yeah, it, it's or a Darnell Wright. It wouldn't make sense. They'd move back or try to move back to get one of those guys. Or, and we talked about this a lot yesterday, I don't I don't necessarily think it's unlocked that the Titans go tackle at one overall. But assuming they do, it's probably one of those two guys. 
What are your thoughts on Paris Johnson Jr.? Did you get a chance to speak with him? I, today? I was with him for his entire. Okay, so what was your what was your takeaway from what he had to say? First of all, let me look straight into camera one as I say this part because mm-hmm. it's very important to acknowledge. Both guys are very good. <laughs> yes. Like they're good football players. We're we're going to compare and contrast them quite a bit today. I don't want any of you getting the impression that I think either of them would be bad fits. I think both I wrote a story about this, Tennessean.com. I did my plug. Both of them, if they started at left tackle for the Tennessee Titans tomorrow, would be upgrades over what the Tennessee Titans had at left tackle in 2022. It is the lowest bar ever, but you are correct. So keep the context here. Mm-hmm. We're going to be talking about a lot of really nitty gritty offensive line things, which I love. I'm a big old dork, but they are both very good. Yes. First round NFL draft picks. They are They're talented players. Very good. The big takeaway for... Paris Johnson when I was talking to him today and I wish you had the clip here because it just genuinely made me laugh okay someone asked him if he played any other sports when he was growing up I I heard this answer yes and most of the time when you get asked that you're like yeah I loved playing basketball that's Mm -hmm. Broderick Jones's answer Broderick Jones described himself as having the sweet feet because he (laughs) played basketball it's a great quote reread the book holes I guess sure but when Paris Johnson was asked this. He said he never played basketball because he couldn't figure out how to dribble. Instead, his first sport was hockey. And then his second sport was gymnastics. That's amazing. And then his third sport was wrestling, mm-hmm. which he That hated. one makes sense. That's the one you expect to hear he hated for wrestling. an offensive lineman. It makes so much sense that he hated wrestling. And, and then... Does he, it? Yeah, considering the... You wrestled at the high school that we both went to together. I bad, forgot. Bad, yeah, you went to high bad, school with bad, this guy. Bad wrestling program, so it makes sense. Okay. But still, <laughs> it's, worth, it's worth the traits, I guess, you know, the skills. Then when he was talking about football, his first position, as you would guess, was safety. Right. And then his second position, as you would guess, was quarterback. Right. And then his third position was wide receiver slash tight end. Mm-hmm. Then he played defensive end. Then he played offensive tackle. Right. So you are talking about a player who is a hockey-playing gymnast, wrestler, safety quarterback, edge rusher, receiver, mm-hmm. who just happens to be six foot six and 310 pounds. Versatile, and, one might say. So the things he can do are unlike anyone else in this draft class. And there's a reason he was a five-star at a high school. And there's a reason I think he was the number one offensive tackle recruit out of high school he's a top 10 overall recruit number one tackle recruit and in the you, 2020 class and if you want to talk about the tom rinaldi gene wojahowski tearjerker feature mm-hmm. his mom sold their childhood home so he could go to a different high school so he could enroll early at ohio state oh wow they she quit her job to take him on trips across the country when he was a recruit he has a foundation that he has started because he wants to give back to communities like the ones he's come from. And he talks about wanting to help displaced veterans and wanting to help underprivileged kids who can't make it to the camps he made it to. At, when it comes to being a character guy, being mm-hmm. just like the kind of representative you want for your college or for your pro team, Paris Johnson seems to check every single box. And the fact that he's a character guy from Mike Frabel's alma mater makes it seem pretty enticing sure. that the Titans would go after him. Yep. As a player, when you talk about the things Paris Johnson does well, 
he didn't allow a single sack his entire season as a starter at guard at Ohio State. That yep. was 2021. Mm-hmm. He allowed two sacks, and I'm not actually using your sheet. I know this off the top of my head. He allowed Impressive. two sacks I'm checking you here. in 2022. Those two, one was, one was against Michigan, one was against Georgia. So they were the last two games of the season. So he went his first 13 starts as a freshman and 11 starts as a sophomore. So that's 24 starts without allowing a sack. Unbelievable. Some of that was on the interior. Some of that was on the exterior. He's shown that versatility. Mm-hmm. He is a truly phenomenal pass protector. His run blocking not quite as tested right. uh, at Ohio State, an offense where the run game tends to be wide open because of how effective the passing <laughs> right. game is. And right. they got some phenomenal running backs over there, Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams. They got some dudes that we're going to be talking about next year in the NFL draft. Right. But because of that, it's a similar situation to what we talked about with Darnell Wright. Of He had the freedom to not have to be tested. And right. Sure. Which makes him a really difficult guy to evaluate it is it is yeah but i was talking to some ohio state beat writers today who were at the combine and one of them said to me i don't know if i've ever covered a more obvious 15 year pro than paris johnson jr wow. and i don't know how long he covered ohio state i don't know if he covered orlando pace i don't know if he covered yeah some of the other I mean, this is my first year actually like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know i, I don't know his full sure. cv but the guys who were around him the last three years were just like, oh, it's a given. The, the same guy, when he asked a question to Paris at the press conference today, opened it by saying, well, I know you thought you'd be out of Ohio State in three years, mm. which there aren't too many people who come to college thinking three years from now I'm going to be a pro. Right. That's the sort of pedigree and confidence he has. And again, the character is there. The production is there. The only knock on him is that he played for a really good college football team. Yes. And it's the exact inverse of what I was talking about with Cody Mock in North Dakota State. Right. Of I guess what I'm saying is I just want people from mid-tier schools. Like, just give me all the guys who went to Cal Berkeley in Virginia, I guess, because they were tested but played good team. I don't know. Ohio State puts out a lot of great players. Paris Johnson's probably going to be a great player. If the Titans pick Paris Johnson, he will almost certainly start game one yes. at left tackle. Yep. He will be an upgrade, as we talked about. And there is a chance the Titans will have drafted a true franchise left tackle. But as I told you guys earlier, it's the toughest position to evaluate. It's why year after year after year, the first offensive tackle picked is lower than you think it is. We always think, oh, it's the second or third most important position on the field. There's always a guy in the top five. In reality, there's only been one offensive tackle picked in the top five in the last nine NFL drafts. It's a really tough position to evaluate. Which is a really surprising so metric, yeah. I think Paris Johnson Jr. is going to be a stud. Okay. I think Peter Skaronsky is going to be a stud. That's the question. In reality... There's a good chance I'm wrong about one or both. Or both, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I wanted to add real quick before we move on to that second option that they could consider if they go to the offensive line with that first pick. What you're saying about Paris Johnson's character, I think another fact is that he, as you were saying, I agree with everything that you that you said. There is a question of Ben Jones is leaving mm-hmm. or maybe not coming back. He we, may we be don't retired. Know. Right. We don't know. Taylor Lewan is most likely not coming back. Mm-hmm. It leaves a very big hole for leadership on this offensive line with a bunch of young, younger guys. And if you were to draft Paris Johnson, like you said, you were going to get someone who's pretty good at what he does, yeah. um, but he's going to make an immediate act, 
uh, impact at, in the leadership role in, with the group of guys. Because sure. I don't think, as of right now, with who's there, if Nate Davis comes back, there's, he's not going to be. He's not going to be the strongest leader. They, they, there is a reality in which Nicholas Petit Ferrier in his second year, is guy. the veteran man yes. in the locker room. So, so I think even though he is a rookie, he's going to command a presence in that locker room. Something that the the Titans just lost a lot of. And to put a bow on it all, a, a wise coach once told me that you don't know who your leaders are until you need them. Hmm. It's you don't come into a season thinking these are my leaders. You don't come into a season where you're six and zero thinking, Oh, these are my leaders. Mm -hmm. You lose four games in a row. You start to notice who your leaders are. Right. Paris Johnson lost two games, three games in his entire college career, (laughs) four games, maybe. Uh, Yeah. Three games. The one Michigan game. He lost, he lost back-to-back games one time ever in college. Right. And it was 10 seconds ago. So uh, we'll see, we'll see what leadership is, but character, as you were saying, no questions there. Absolutely zero questions. Well, if we're looking for tested leadership and yes. lo- and losing is the metric for tested leadership. Now who's got the A plus segue? It's right. I, I had to I had to meet you at eye level with the segues because we can move on to a Northwestern product in Peter Skaronsky, the last lineman tackle that we're going to talk about. Tackle maybe pr- wants to play tackle. We'll see. Played tackle at Northwestern where they did a lot of losing for as long as he was there because that is what Northwestern football does. I believe they only uh, they didn't win a single game on U.S. soil last year. They they won in a London game, or no, in Ireland. They won in Ireland yep. uh, and beat Nebraska, I Nebraska think. It was one of Nebraska's disastrous games this year. And Northwestern fans, I know, um, listening to, I listen to Michael Wilbon sometimes. He's a big Northwestern alum. He was very excited after that. And then it was just sad to listen to him talk about Northwestern football the rest of the year, because it went downhill from there. They did nothing but lose. Skronsky is, is not a loser. He's the best offensive line product in this draft. We have two clips from his discussion today with reporters. JT, let's let's save the arm length question from our buddy Tron Davenport for second. Let's start with the first clip. Um, no one has really sat me down and been like, oh, you can't play tackle for us. Um, teams just kind of asked me where I see myself. Um, I've said that I'm a tackle, I can play tackle, but more than willing to play anywhere um and teams have talked about versatility for sure too and so if i'm moving the guard i'm happy to do that um but yeah no one has really said oh you have to play guard you have to play tackle or you can't play tackle um and no one has really boxed man which I'm, I'm pretty pleased about so. the, the supposed limitations of short arms like how are you able to well yeah so we'll save that second part for just a second um, the, the, the first part w- that he was just talking about, Nick, since we, we need to relay to you what, what was, was going there, on, but yes. you were there to remind you of, of what he was saying there. He was talking about his discussion with teams so far in his team meetings, ju- yeah, just yeah. how much or how little, and, and he was saying they haven't really brought it up. The idea that if we draft you, you're going to play guard or if we, if we, if, you know, would you consider playing inside or we are, we're going to play you inside. No one has told him you cannot play tackle. Um, and, and that's something that he's obviously looking, he's been vocal about the fact that he's looking to get an opportunity to play tackle in the NFL. Uh, I don't know, JT, could you look up his official measurements if they're, well, actually I'm they dumb. Linemen aren't, they're not in yet. We yeah. can look up what they're supposed to be. I know that his arms are for sure not going to come in North of 34, which is the traditional benchmark for arm length for tackles. There have been tackles that have succeeded in the NFL with sub 34 inch arms, but they are few and far between statistically speaking, you need that length. To be able to contend 
uh, with with the super long Tyree Wilsons of the world coming around the edge with six foot seven wingspans who are going to get in there. And if you can't if you can't counter punch and have the reach to uh, be able to get your hands on them, you're, you're screwed. Uh, that that's the concern with Skronsky because again, from a talent standpoint, from a development standpoint, from a from a raw traits standpoint, he is the best prospect uh, among the offensive linemen in this draft. The question becomes a positional value one with tackles. Obviously they tend to go in the first, second or third round. Usually you don't find good tackles in the later rounds because good tackles are much harder to come by. Part of, part of that is because you got to have guys that are particularly freaky athletic um, physically. And and those guys just are, there are a lot of big guys that are shorter or not as, as uh, long arms or not as good with their footwork that can play inside. There's not, many that are that rare combination of massive and also really athletic that can play uh, at the tackle position. The, the question becomes if, if you draft him in the first round at 11, for example, for the Titans, you need him from a positional value standpoint to, to pan out as a guard or as a tackle rather, or else then you just have the, the latest $20 million man at the guard position, which is nice. It's cool to have, to have that, but, they need a tackle very badly. They've not had a pair of, of competent tackles in Tennessee for two or three or four years in, in a row. Now it's basically been since Mike Vrabel has been here for the most part. I, I want to know if you have any opinion, first of all, on Skaronsky's discussion at the podium today, which actually before I'm going to ask you the question, we'll play the last clip and then we can talk about it. Um, so I want to hear your opinion of that interview, and then we can talk about whether or not you think it would make sense for, for a team or the Titans specifically to try him at tackle and, and give that a shot. JT, let's play the, the clip. This is from Tron Davenport, by the way, a friend of the show, asking a, a question and getting a good quote here on what Peter Skaronsky thinks about arm length and tackles. overcome that yeah i think you know you know arm like number doesn't really determine a great player a great blocker um i think it's pretty irrelevant i think you know some of my issues that have been chalked up to arm length are really just technical things that i can work on and try to fix um so i'm not really concerned about that and I, from what i gather a lot of teams aren't really either so let's start with your thoughts on the interview sure what what did, what did you take away from that availability um, first off, pedantic news writer, newspaper writer, fact check, okay. just so the big time Northwestern fans don't get mad at us. Uh -huh. Peter Skaronsky did play for a Big Ten championship in 2020, his freshman year. They were not awful all three years. Okay, they fair, fair enough. Objectively awful for two years. Okay, <laughs> okay. Um, all the all the hundreds of Northwestern fans that watch Titans, yes, yes, Titans yes. coverage from the combine I, I'm, were I'm, pounding their fists into the air. I work in journalism. I know a few. Northwestern grads. Who okay. Might get mad at me. Fair enough. Um, yeah. What, listening to Skaronsky talk today reminded me of a metaphor that I like to use about sports. Okay. I like metaphors. And so I will open it up to the two of you. Okay. Do you consider you guys particularly good cooks? Are you good chefs? Absolutely not. I, I had, I, he is, I had to ask my wife last week if I was making mashed potatoes correctly. Okay. You probably weren't. Um, I, I wasn't. They weren't good. No. So that's that's a really good place to start. 
Okay. Did you follow a recipe? Tried. Did you? So you, so you had the recipe. It, well, it was the kind of recipe that was, it wasn't exact. I need exact measurements. Okay. Like I need, I'm a, I like to woodwork. I like to do things with my hands and I can follow instructions very well or freelance. But when it comes to food, I have no frame of reference for freelancing. So if you don't tell me exact measurements, it was like throw a little of this in there. And then after it gets right, do this. And it's all these very relative things. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. I need someone that's done this before to help me. So, so if I may put on my best uh, unfrozen caveman lawyer hat and lead the witness here, uh-huh. what you're saying is it had all the great traits of mashed potatoes. <laughs> Everything that is supposed to be in mashed potatoes was there. The ingredients were the correct. The ingredients yeah. were all there. It tasted like cyanide. Yeah. Yeah. That's the problem with evaluating football players by traits. Mm. We shouldn't be starting with, here are the ingredients, will it make a good football player? Mm -hmm. We should start with, here are the mashed potatoes, are they good? And then from there, identify what can be fixed. There's a great quote from Mike Tomlin, I can't remember, I think he might've been talking to Kevin Clark, but a great quote where he talks about, anytime I see a grade evaluation in the draft process, that says doesn't take coaching well or says Mm. lacks form, lacks fundamentals, doesn't have good eye discipline, doesn't have this or that. Mike Tomlin says, well, that's my job. (laughs) Right, (laughs) right, 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 right. That's what I'm being paid for. Like if the draft report says is bad at football, Mm -hmm. then you don't pick him. Right. But if the draft report says is great at nine things, fails at the 10th thing, uh, it's the coach's job to fix the 10th thing. Sure. So I'm listening to Peter Skaronsky talk today. I know this is a long walk, but trust me, there's a reason I, I brought all this up. Okay. I'm listening to him talk today, and he's asked about the deficiencies of arm length. And is this a weakness? Is this something you have to overcome? Is this a shortcoming? Whatever way you want to put it. And he essentially said, no. I, I think a lot of the times when people look at something and say, oh, I missed that block because I have short arms – what really happened was a breakdown in form, was breakdown in technique. And so I'm working on my technique. I'm working on my hand placement. I'm working on my footwork. I'm working on my ability to punch where I land the punch. Again, really tough to evaluate offensive linemen. There's a lot of complicated factors. But he says, if having long arms were the reason that offensive linemen were good, why would people with long arms ever fail at Mm. offensive line? And that is a fallacy. That is, anyone who's ever taken linguistics can tell you yes. that is a fallacy. That is, sure. that is a not the way this people are making the argument. Nobody's saying, well, just go draft Hakeem Olajuwon. Right, like, exactly. Like, exactly. we understand that functionally. Tyree Wilson, can he play tackle? Yeah. He's, he's got a crazy 80-something wingspan. We could play him at tackle. We, we functionally understand that there's more to playing tackle. Right. That. Nobody's accusing Skaronsky of that. But what does stand out to me is kind of going back to what we talked about with Darnell Wright. Mm is this idea that Peter Skaronsky knows what the problem is. And I would rather have somebody who knows the problem and is trying to fix it and is capable of fixing it, which I think we're all in agreement. There isn't even a problem. The dude was the best blocker in college football last year. Right. But when you look at all of this, when you add all this together, he strikes me as a guy who is really good at his craft, who is working to further hone his craft, and who has an answer for the criticism. Does that mean it's going to translate? Who knows? I've said it a thousand times. I'll say it a thousand more. 
we don't know how good these guys are going to be. But the thing I like about coming from Northwestern, when you're trailing a lot, when you're constantly playing from behind, that makes jobs for pass rushers so easy Mm -hmm. because they know they can pin their ears back on third down. They know they can come after the quarterback because the other team's losing by 20 points and all you got to do is sack the guy. And in the last two years, Peter skaronsky has gone up against Aiden Hutchinson mm-hmm. and he's gone up against Zach Harris. And this is the argument for it. Gone up against uh, George Karlaftis mm-hmm. and Lucas Van Ness and all of these stunning pass rushers. NFL caliber pass rushers. And he doesn't give up sacks, even though the other team knows Northwestern has to throw the ball. Mm-hmm. He doesn't make mistakes. The Titans rarely in that situation where teams are like <laughs> they're going to throw the ball. Uh-huh, yeah. It's not exactly in a fact it's usually the opposite, but it's, yeah. It's not exactly a transferable skill. Sure. But what it is is proof that he's good at what he does. Sure. Cuz when there's no mystery, when there's no subplot about oh, well maybe they'll do this or that when it's hey, we're losing by 25, let's try and catch up. Mhm. And he's still shutting down Aiden Hutchinson. I've watched that tape like four or five times of uh, him against Aiden Hutchinson. It is remarkable what yep. he was able to do in that game. Good on you, man. You're really good. You replaced Rayshon Slater as a true freshman. Mm-hmm. And you didn't miss a beat. Like, that's impressive stuff. It is. And that is that's the that is the compelling argument for why he should be given a chance to play tackle in the NFL. And I, I think that he will be given that chance um, just because he has the track record on tape of being able to compete with NFL caliber, some elite NFL caliber pass rushers, despite what people are saying is a physical limitation of his, I get, I mean, obviously it is a physical limitation, but he makes up for it obviously in one way or another, because it gets the job done at the end of the day, which is your point. It's the recipe is different than what you're expecting, but the result is what you are expecting, yep. which is what actually matters. You know, no one's going to be mad. Yeah, he didn't allow a sack this year, but his arms, his arms. Um, so that's that's the conversation that we're going to have about Peter Skaronsky and about the Titans potentially having interest in him as a tackle for really until the draft is here, because it's going to be a topic that is. And if they were to draft him, then we'll talk about it all summer long, because that's the topic of choice. We heard from the running backs today as well, but for the sake of time, we're going to save thoughts on that potentially for tomorrow. We want to move on um, to the main event from today, which was the athletic testing in the afternoon where we just came from. We got to see the quarterbacks, the wide receivers, and then wrapping up the day with the tight ends doing their athletic testing. Got to see the quarterbacks that chose to throw, throw for the first time, the wide receivers run their forties, catch passes. Um, It's, the most watchable product from the athletic testing of the combine, because it's the, it's the one thing, the one gauntlet of drills that is even remotely reminiscent of football. Um, The the rest of it is all underwear Olympics, weird, um, weird strength and conditioning drills. This, you got a little bit of actual football involved. They weren't just running around in, in tights. And we got to see uh, almost everybody we wanted to see. A handful of guys that were injured, we we didn't get to see do anything. A handful choosing not to participate. Bryce Young, of course, is only here to weigh in, which can we give real quick a round of applause for Fat Bryce because Fat Bryce, mission accomplished. He came to the combine, and his only goal was 
give me a number on the scale that starts with a two. And he got it today. Came in at, I believe, 5'10 and a quarter, 203 pounds, 204. You were, you were off by another quarter of an inch and one pound. I was so. very close, close both ways. He 10 foot, 10 foot, wow, 5 foot 10 and an eighth and 204 pounds is what he came in at. Um, well done. His competitive eating for the, the last month managed to let him get this totally fraudulent, fake, blown out of proportion number. And who knows how many... PBJs he was stuffing into his mouth before he stepped on the scale today. But listen, I, I'm not I'm not making fun of him. He's just playing the silly game that we have created in in this world where we can all know for sure that Bryce Young is not playing at 204 pounds in the NFL, and also the fact that he came here to the combine managed to put that number on paper. It's now in stone. You can't dispute it having existed at some point. He was in fact 204 pounds today. That's all some folks, maybe even some folks responsible for making decisions for NFL teams in the draft need to be able to say, awesome, he can put on weight, no concerns there. He's really slight and slender, but guess what? His physical pro profile from the combine was almost identical to Kyler Murray. And while he's been banged up quite a bit, he's been able to succeed in the NFL. That's the comp. And I want I'm going to throw this thought out there. And if you have any opinions, either of you, I want to hear them. The discussion around Bryce Young's size is the dominant one in the draft discourse cycle right now, and it's a polarizing one. Some are it's it's increasingly polarizing to the to the point where he weighs in today, and you see on Twitter immediately all the people that are inclined to think Bryce Young can be that outlier and succeed despite his size are saying, "Well, guess what? Size doesn't it doesn't matter anymore. I don't care. Go and get this guy." X team, you got to go and get this guy. He's the number one quarterback in this class. I, I don't think his size matters at all. That is peak foolishness, in my opinion. If we're evaluating him as a prospect, his size absolutely matters. And if you are being willingly blinded into thinking that this weight was in any way a real reflection of his size, and he's not definitely going to shrink back down for his pro day in a month and then shrink all the way back down to 190 pounds or something like that before he plays a snap in the NFL, you're you, you're just not, you're not being reasonable. Um, I do think that it's in, an interesting comparison, however, to Kyler Murray, because a lot of folks are using that to champion the idea that, well, look, he's within a couple pounds of what Kyler was at his combine. And he's the exact same height, essentially as Kyler and as Russell Wilson at his combine. Now the height thing is a straw man. I don't think anybody's saying at five, 10 and one eighth, you can't succeed in the NFL because we have more than one example of a guy succeeding in the NFL at that height. What we don't have examples of are guys that short and that slender, that that skinny succeeding and really being durable enough to have a long NFL career at the quarterback position. With Kyler, if, if your comp is, well, Kyler's doing it and at the same size, my response is, Kyler Murray has missed over 25% of his games in the last two seasons, and he's about to miss a large portion of his fifth year in the league with an injury that, granted, an ACL tear doesn't really have anything to do correlative to size, but if you even throw that injury out and just consider his other injuries, my response would then be, okay, we'll go and look at the end of the year, basically every year he's played in the NFL. You can say it may not have to do with the size, but there is – while while causation may not equal correlation here, he is a small guy, and every single year, even in the games at the end of the season, he does manage to play in 
we still see a guy that has been beat up. And as a result of a long season of being beat up, usually doesn't have the same ability is, is, is lacking in those skills at the end of the year. And he doesn't look like the same quarterback. He's not nearly as effective. It's been part of the reason why the Cardinals have not been able to finish seasons since he's been the quarterback. So I don't think that's a good argument for the idea that well, Bryce is just going to be Kyler. Okay, then he's going to be a guy that can't finish healthy enough to succeed in the postseason. Yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, um, <laughs> okay. No, 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 no. Uh, so our next topic. Is... No, no, no. Um, the number one predictor of future injuries is past injuries. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We shouldn't be focusing on Bryce's height. We shouldn't be focusing on Bryce's weight. We shouldn't be trying to predict how that frame will end up affecting his health. We should be looking at his health in the past. Mm -hmm. And in his two years as a starter at Alabama, he missed one game. I cannot remember what the injury was that caused him to miss the Texas A&M game. It was a shoulder. shoulder. Um, There is a chance he'll get hurt there is also a chance every football player will get hurt. I don't know if... It's actually 100% chance every football player will be hurt at some point. I don't know if Bryce is more likely to be hurt. I don't know if Bryce is less likely to be hurt. What I do know is he's one heck of a darn football player. He really is, yeah. He's really good at football. And I don't think weighing 203 pounds versus weighing 197 pounds is any more likely to make somebody injury prone or less injury prone, it's the fallacy of round numbers. Mm. If he weighed 206 pounds versus 210 pounds or 212 pounds, whatever the math is, sure, we would say that's the exact same weight. Mm-hmm. But because one's 197 and one is 204, right? we think they're drastically different. We just have to think of where sevens are. Right. Like to go back to the offensive lineman for a second, Paris Johnson weighs 315 pounds. Mm-hmm. If he weighed 322 pounds, we would be like, He's roughly 320 pounds. That's that's what we say about every other position. Right. But the fallacy of round numbers gives us this pinpoint of, oh, well, no one plays quarterback under 200 pounds. Mm-hmm. Well, also nobody plays quarterback under 201 pounds. Mm-hmm. Also nobody plays quarterback under 199 pounds. Mm-hmm. That's how numbers tend to work. That is, is that we yeah. pick the round number and fixate on it. Sure. Um, it's why people put six feet tall on their dating app, even though functionally there is no difference between being five foot 11. You better say, and they're five, 10 and a half in reality. Yeah. The the reality here is that we are fixating on round numbers instead of fixating on important data. Sure. Now, the thing about Bryce Young, how much Bryce Young have you watched just as people watching football games, not as evaluators, a lot, not as talent scouts, just like, Oh, I want to watch this guy play football. I probably, I mean, I probably watched half of his games at Alabama live and the other half I've seen in evaluating. Yeah. Yeah. And so during the games, you're just watching as a football fan. Mm -hmm. What is your estimate for how many times a game you say? What's your estimate? How many times does he make you guess? Well, <laughs> um, I was, uh, yeah, I'm with you now. He, uh, he, it really depends, but there, there are some games. I mean, I think back to the last game we saw him in the bowl game where he really asserted his dominance. And in that game, it was granted in one of the outliers, one of his best games, not an outlier, but one of his best games of his career in college. He, he wowed you at least 
at least three or four times a quarter throughout the entire game. Yeah. That's that's hard to do. It is very hard. It's to really do. hard to be that impressive. Put on the tape against Texas this year. Watch the fourth quarter against Texas. Y- yes, that's another put, put time on, that comes to mind. Put on the 2021 SEC championship game against that Georgia defense. Watch the best games that Bryce Young played, and you'll understand why all of this feels silly. Yes, there's a chance he's going to get hurt. He's better at playing quarterback as an incoming prospect than Kyler Murray was. Yes. Like, Kyler Murray has proven himself to be a capable and talented pro. Yeah. But let's not put these guys in the same bucket. Kyler Murray was an outstanding college football player. Like, won the Heisman Trophy for a reason. Mm -hmm. Beat Tua having arguably the best, most efficient season any quarterback had ever had up to that point because of how outstanding his flashes were. Bryce Young had a better college career than Kyler Murray. Mm -hmm. He's stupendously good at playing football. And all of the stuff on the outside of it is stuff we're using to fill time because it's really boring when somebody comes from modern day high school at 18 years old and everybody points at him and says, he's going to be the number one pick in the draft. Mm -hmm. And then he sits for a year in college and we forget about him. And then he starts his first game as a sophomore and we're like, he's going to be the number one pick in the NFL draft. And then he wins a... Heisman Trophy in his first year as a starter and goes all the way to national championship. Mm -hmm. Like next year, he's going to be the number one pick. And then he plays his entire junior season and absolutely nothing is surprising. And he does everything we thought. And as somebody who watched him in person, who watched him from afar covering the SEC, he was better. His teammates weren't quite as good, but he was better Mm -hmm. in his second year as a starter. And we're watching the whole time along. He's going to be the number one pick in the draft. And then now we're here and it's boring. It's NFL draft. Season, yeah, uh-huh, yeah. And we're talking about what are his ankles going to be like? <laughs> is he going to have the same issue Steph Curry does cutting because of the size of his ankles? How's his wrist? How's his shoulder? How's his weight? He's really good at football. Like, I don't want to go back to the traits stuff. I really don't. But like, <clears throat> just watch the dude. He's good. He's really good. And you know who else is really good? CJ Stroud. Mm-hmm. Also, if it wasn't for Bryce Young being in this draft, I'd be saying all this about him. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, he's the best player in the draft. He's the best quarterback. He's going to be a star. Bryce Young, his floor to me seems like he's going to be a B to B-plus starting quarterback in the NFL for a decade. Draft him. I, I agreed with you until the end there. And You say a decade. I think that he's going to be electric wherever he goes immediately. I think that he'll be very, very good and be a, a guy that everyone points to and says it should have been a no-brainer. Again, he was always the first-round pick. He always always should have been the first-round pick. He was always the best quarterback prospect in this draft, yada, yada, yada. And all of those things are true. And again, he is. All of the things outside of his size really don't give you any pause whatsoever across the board. He's got every base covered. It's the size that makes me say, I think he's most likely to probably spend – three, four, five, six years being really fantastic. And then his career is likely to, you know, in, injuries will start to pile up. And I just don't think that build, that frame, there's an element of luck involved. I mean, there's there's a big element of flukiness to, to injuries and how those injuries pile up over time and how they limit your ability to have a long and prosperous NFL career. So maybe he's the, maybe it turns out he's the best at avoiding contact in the history of the game. And it, didn't matter if he lost 15 pounds. He can play at that height and size because he doesn't get touched. Maybe that's the case. We don't know. We'll have to see. I think I think that there's there's a high likelihood that that sure by the year five six seven things start to fall off and and 
a team could absolutely say, hey, if you can guarantee me six years of elite quarterback play, I, I will take, give me, I will, I will take first overall in the draft. And maybe that's that's the uh, equation that, that people are, are having to contend with, and they just don't care. They say, well, if worst case, he's awesome for only six years and not 12 years, cool, we'll take the six. To, to engage in some light word play here, um, you brought up how there's an element of luck involved. Sure. I don't think there is a better example of using a number one pick on a quarterback who's going to be great for six years than Andrew Luck. Obviously, ah. ideal size. Yep. Ideal. Another person who the second you watched him step onto a college football field, you said, oh, he's going to be the number one pick. Best draft. prospect since uh, Montana, they were saying. Right. If you could go back to 2012 and you have the Colts number one pick mm -hmm. and you know exactly how Andrew Luck's career goes, mm -hmm. do you still take him number one? I probably do. Yeah, I and probably that's, do. That's the argument for Bryce. Even if his career doesn't last to 30, if you can have that kind of guy and you're the Houston Texans or you're the Indianapolis Colts or the Las Vegas Raiders or whichever team is the Carolina Panthers, whoever's going to be picking a quarterback at the top of the draft, if you can guarantee you're going to get a quarterback who's going to be a superstar for anywhere from five to 10 years, you take him. All right. We'll move on to a broader topic about what we saw today with the athletic testing, the the big news of the day was Bryce Young's weigh in. And we've now gotten that out of the way. We spent adequate time on that. I want to talk about the other guys that we saw and we've been at this for an hour and 10 minutes now, so we won't go much longer, but let's spend the last 10 minutes or so of the show talking about what we saw. And I want to, I want to hear from anybody that, that had thoughts on, on the, the testing today from a quarterback standpoint, we can probably start there and get that, book open and closed more quickly because we didn't see Bryce Young throw today. Nope. We did see the, as you refuse to say, but are saying nonetheless, uh, under your breath, maybe Stetson Bennett, the greatest quarterback of all time. Is this, am yeah, I no, quoting I you correctly? I, I won't say that on the record, but I'll link it Right, exactly. We saw Stetson Bennett throw. I, I thought he was impressive. I thought uh, he Very was good. He was in a group with uh, Will Levis being really his only other competition. Uh, you know, we'll, I'll tell you this. In the first group, they, they split them half and half. We saw half the receivers and quarterbacks, and we saw the other half. It was random, or not random, alphabetical, I believe. They just cut it in the middle. So the first group of quarterbacks was a bunch of guys that you have not heard of, you will not hear of, and then Stetson Bennett, Max Duggan, and Will Levis. So there were like five guys, and three of them we knew. Go on. Fair enough, fair enough. The point is there were a, a handful of guys that are not second round or third round or fourth round picks. They're guys that may or may not even be drafted at all. Tyson, um, racer. I am a racing. Yeah. I'm very sorry, Tyson. Um, and with a guy like Bennett, we know his name. And with a guy like Duggan, we know his name. Both of those guys are, are not going to go. You'd imagine even on day two, probably a day three, maybe, maybe, Bennett goes day yeah, two. I think he could sneak Duggan may not even be drafted. I mean, who knows with Duggan? I don't think. Spoiler: He had a pretty bad day. Uh, it pretty was a day. it was a rough day for Duggan. Um, I just I I, tell you, I tweeted this at the time too. I just don't think he he has what it takes. I don't think he's cut out for the NFL level. Um, really great college quarterback, but I I just don't see that translating. He's got a lot of work to do if he's going to be able to play in the NFL. I haven't watched the Dallas Renegades yet, but I'm sure he could compete for a spot there. future xfl or usfl legend yeah, I, don't Max know, I don't know which league that yeah. is honestly but it's one of them okay um yeah i'm gonna just slightly indulge my nerd cred for a second mm -hmm. while we're talking about this uh 
not to spoil season six of a show that came out two and a half decades ago, but there's a moment in Buffy the Vampire Slayer where um, Dark Willow emerges and somebody's like monologuing about how she needs to spare them. She needs to spare them. And mid monologue, she just goes bored now and flicks her hand and just vaporizes him. Okay. That's what Stetson Bennett is reminding me of right now. Okay. Where he's just so bored by the concept of being doubted mm. he is so gone through the motions of people like well can he make the throw well is he going to show up in the interview he's just so unimpressed with criticism because he has overcome every criticism every doubt that anyone has put in front of him and he's just like nonchalantly doing everything the right way to a point that again it's a little bit boring to sit here and be like well, you know who surprised me? Stetson Bennett. Mm-hmm. Of course, he, it's not surprising anymore. He's really good. He does have two rings on his finger. He does. Yeah. And I'm not going to sit here and say the same things I'll say about Bryce Young or the same things I'll say about CJ Stroud. There are gaps in his game. He does have a few Leroy Jenkins moments every <laughs> game where you're just like, Stet, why? Why, why, why? Why have you forgotten yourself? Uh-huh. Just, just throw to the good well, place. And he also, the, the real thing is that he's got a very hard ceiling compared to those For guys. sure. Right. And he's also 26, uh, I believe. Yeah, I think he's 30, 25, 34 26. and has two kids at home. Yeah, um, that's the... But nevertheless, very impressed by him today. Was impressed by Will Levis. Again, unsurprising. Not surprising at all. Well, the group he was in good. made him look real impressive. Not surprising at all that he looked good against air. We're going to have to no. see how teams value how he looks against air versus how they value his actual tape. Right. Um, Anthony Richardson, same. Like, yeah. <laughs> no, it, I mean, it was Anthony Richardson day here at the combine and yeah. he earned it. And um, we expected it to be when we came in because the, the fever pitch was already, we were already on a collision course with that fever pitch of Anthony Richardson hype coming into the week. So it was reasonable to assume Hey, we're probably going to be really high on Anthony Richardson as a NFL community after this because he's going to probably shatter all the records. And that he did. He did yeah. shatter a number of records, set the record for uh, tall, I guess, tallest vertical jump for an uh, NFL quarterback at the combine. Set a, I think the broad, if the broad wasn't a, a record, it was the record for the day. Definitely the best of anybody um, in the quarterback class this year. He had a, I think it was a, was a four 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 or four four one? He ran at low low four fours. Yeah, it ran a low fours forty. Only decided to run it once. He was happy with that time. And then against air, I mean, the moment that really stuck out was they're running the go ball route drill, and those those quarterbacks were taking three shots each. His first two were just drops in the bucket. We'd seen ni- we'd right. seen nine guys throw to that point already. Nobody had had back to back shots out of the gate like that where they hit the guy in stride, put a ton of air under it. He was one of the guys today, while some of the no-name quarterbacks were fighting for their life on the go-ball route to even get it down there, he looked like he was kind of just flicking his wrist to get it down there, seemed relatively effortless for really him and Levis, the two big cannon guys in this draft. And it it was was an, an experience being there. I'm sure for folks at home, it was a moment where we realized, oh, Anthony Richardson is absolutely going to join this group of quarterbacks as there are four of them that will all for sure be gone in the top 10. And and listen, it wouldn't shock me at all if he turns out to be the third guy off the board or the second guy off the board. And and just to run through it, uh, some other records he set at the combine today, uh, brightest teeth 
Mm, yes. Glossiest fingernails. Best backflip. Funniest Xbox Live gamer tag. Yes. Uh, most productive at the game Pikmin. Mm-hmm. He's still so good at Pikmin. Uh, he he he's the best. He has the most charged phone. It's always at hundred uh-huh. percent. He's never running low on battery. Right. He always knows the best gas station mm-hmm. to to get the cheapest gas from. He, he always gets ten hours of sleep every single night. Most perfectly trimmed beard. He, he, like there mm-hmm. were a lot of combine records he set. Twenty ten vision, best vision of an NFL quarterback in combine history. Also best record collection of the pop songs of 2010 mm, yes. that's right yeah just everything he did <clears throat> exuded excellence yes and look he's, he's we're, we're being hyperbolic but that was the vibe all day that's the way everyone's talked about him in his day so he is a physical marvel he is he i i think i asked jt this earlier if it was 2003, what position would Anthony Richardson be playing? Right. Just a fascinating thought. Well, I saw somebody tweet, hey, if he sucks his first three years as a quarterback, you draft him the first round, guess what? You still have two years of him on a cheap deal where you can convert him into an elite tight end. I'm just, I said this earlier, he is the ultimate NIMBY quarterback. <laughs> yeah. Everybody yeah. wants him in the NFL. Mm-hmm. I am not convinced that many people want him on their team. Because we are so fascinated by this guy who has the best physical tools potentially of any quarterback since Cam Newton, potentially of any quarterback since Vince Young. Like these physical tools, Michael Vick, like Mm -hmm. insane tools. And I guess you could argue Herbert or Allen, but I don't think any of them had quite the level of hype that Anthony Richardson does, but he played for a six and seven team and was completing 53% of his passes. And, and is largely not liked by fans of his own college yeah. team. Yeah. Which, but I mean, Florida fans all day long, it was, I was seeing tweets from media members just bathing Richardson in compliments. And then the responses were all 75%. I can't wait to see him go in the top 10. He's going to be great. We should go get him, go Panthers, go get him. And then you'd see every one in seven comments was a Florida fan saying, I wouldn't take him in the sixth round. Oh, I've seen plenty of SEC beat writers who are like, here are my top quarterbacks in the draft. And mm-hmm. they're putting Hendon Hooker ahead of mm-hmm. them. And they're putting Max Duggan ahead of him. And, <laughs> yeah. and they're putting Easton Freeze ahead of mm-hmm. him. And they, they, like the disdain for Anthony Richardson is almost as hyperbolic as the praise. As the praise, it, right. But... It's draft season, baby. It's time to be hyperbolic. It's that time of year. It's tough for people like me who are just like, I I think he's good. He's he's good. And that's a topic we we talk about this all the time on the show. The fact that you just, you simply are not allowed to have any uh, nuance or be anything but as polar as possible on a topic, uh, lest you be taken out of context and hated by pretty much everyone on the internet because that's you just it has to be binary, has to be black and white, has to be a strong opinion, or else you uh, you you're not you don't belong. So you say something like that. He's I think he's going to be good. He's an alluring prospect. I like the idea of him. I don't know if I'd spend a big draft pick on him because it seems risky. That take is is going to be twisted and contorted into you hate him as a prospect or contorted into. You think that this guy who went six and seven last year and was completing 50 some odd percent of his passes is going to be a starting NFL quarterback out of the gate, you moron, because they're all thinking in these binary terms. When in reality, Richardson, what you're saying is he's got there's no there's no prospect in this draft 
with more allure than Richardson. He is in the cave of wonders in Aladdin, the shiniest gem at the top of the mountain of gold. Like it's so tempting. And if you're a team that needs a quarterback, the idea of what he could become based on, I'm very sorry, his physical traits, the tools that he has, not the tape. Now there are things, there are elements, there are flashes on his tape where you go, Ooh, look at that movement in the pocket. Look at his ability to be a Josh Allen style power runner as a quarterback, 245 pounds running guys over, not trying to run around them. Look at that top end speed running away from defensive backs, but he's not put it all together. Certainly not in one drive or one game. And it's, it's those things that again, add to that lure of what if, but we don't know what if, because we've never seen what that what if can be, if it's all brought together at once. Right. Quick wide receiver speed run. Yeah, speed run the receivers. JT, JT, two receivers you liked. Uh, Josh Downs today. I thought he was one of the most impressive. We have a clip real quick. We'll just show it. It's a good answer. Um, his his gauntlet drill was the most impressive thing to me today. And he's not a guy that we talked about yesterday, um, but he's going to be around that, that 38 to 45 range, mm-hmm. which is perfect for the Titans to take a second round receiver. Yep. Um, he just, he looked quick. He looked sharp. Um, he did everything that you could have asked of him. He's but, gonna, buttery smooth all day. Yeah. That's what stood out to me. Dude and, is and just is nice with it. He, he'd be a really nice guy in the slot for the Titans. One more guy. We have to give a shout out because we didn't shout him out. Yesterday, it's Tony Keeley and Zach Lyons' favorite player, Puka Nakua. Puka Nakua. I, I thought he was another guy who showed a lot of explosiveness today. I thought he did really good on his route running, um, and that's what really stood out to me. He could be a third third round guy, maybe all the way on day three, just a diamond in the rough for them. Two for you, Eason. Well, you're the guest. I'll let you go. I'll take the scraps of whatever's left over. All right. Um, one, you guys heard me talk about him all day. I really like Trey Tucker yep. out of Cincinnati. Yep. At Which his, is not the Cincinnati receiver most no. think about in this draft. His floor is being an outstanding punt returner, which is something that the Titans have not, truly lacked. You're to Mark Mariani? <laughs> since <laughs> since the since the Mark Mariani days. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but his ceiling, he ran what a four four one. He's yellow four fours. Yep. He's not the prototypical Titans guy. He's five nine or so. He's he's an undersized receiver. But I, I really like his perspective on the game. I, I really uh, enjoy watching him. And the other one, kind of an obvious one, but still a guy that I think has been largely lost in the discourse. Jackson Smith and Jigba had a really good day. Yep. Yeah, that's what he, I, yeah, he had 100%. A, he had a really good day. He looked like the guy putting up 300 some odd yards on Utah in the Rose Bowl. And yep. I don't want to just... He looked like a guy who, if he'd been playing for his team this year, might have gone further in the championship round. He, he looks like a guy who... I remember whatever draft this was, like 2009, 2010, 2011, somewhere around there. Mel Kuyper's preseason big board had number one wide receiver, wide receiver one, Keenan Allen. Mm -hmm. And then for some reason, by the time the draft comes around, he's a consensus third round pick. And I'm just like, what happened to this guy? Right. We thought he was wide receiver one. Uh And Jackson Smith and Jigba is kind of following that path of, we might think of him as wide receiver three. We might think of him as wide receiver four. There was a reason this time last year, he was wide receiver one. Yep. And he played like it. Wide receiver one in a room filled with, now NFL star receivers. Sure. He was beating out Chris Olave. He was uh, out, out, out doing a young Marvin Harrison Jr. He was 
beating out who else who else was on that Garrett team? Wilson. Garrett Wilson. NFL rookie right, of the yeah, year. rookie of the year. Basically, Garrett Wilson, rookie of the year, and Chris Olave, contender for rookie rookie of the year, and Marvin Harrison Jr., who will be the number one wide receiver in next year's draft. We know that already. And Emeka Ibuka. Let's not forget that he's a superstar. Fair as well. enough. Fair enough. And, and that's that's the thing about a guy like him. We, we've seen we've seen this kind of be a trend in the last decade or so with guys who maybe don't play their last year. I mean, you, you think back to, um, was it, is Jamar Chase did the yeah, exact same, this, yeah. the exact same thing. I think that it could be the case this year. And I'll go ahead and transition into one of my guys that I was impressed by today. You could see it to a lesser extent, but an element of, of this, um, what have you done for me lately? Erasure of a guy with Cedric Tillman. Yeah. Who, yeah. who didn't get to play nearly as much this season as he would have liked to. I actually, I think he played in like what, two or three games on the year. Um, and was in, in what led to him falling down boards because he was the Tennessee wide receiver one coming into the year, a guy who was expected to be in consideration for the top of the wide receiver class in this draft. Well, then he's hurt all season and is upstaged by a guy in his own team. Who had a great year in Jalen Hyatt, who side note, not the best day for him today. Um, injured, injured fair. I think he actually tweeted out that, that he didn't have a great day, but that is, you know, He's going to be back. His tape speaks for itself. I'm not, I'm not out on, on Hyatt, but I will say it depends on the fit you're looking for from, from the, the individual team. And for the Titans, maybe a guy with the traits that Hyatt has is more valuable to you right now in a vacuum for the majority of the NFL teams. I think I'd actually prefer having Tillman to Hyatt just because with Tillman, he is, and in this year, there's, there's a supply and demand element to this. This year's wide receiver class is tiny. There's yep. not any size anywhere except for a few guys like Quentin Johnson. There's a reason why in any other draft year, like last year, plop Quentin Johnson in the in the mix with the Traylon Burkses and the, the Garrett Wilsons and the Drake London, and suddenly he would be for sure back of the line. This year, the top five or so receivers are all itty bitty little guys and then quentin johnson is the giant among them because he's got some size to him that makes him the guy people are considering oh maybe wide receiver one he's a big big body nfl style receiver with cedric tillman he is another very rare example in this draft of a guy who's got that size i thought he ran well today for a guy at at his size managing to put up a i think it was a, like a four five five or something like that yeah. mid mid four fives which for receivers, that's kind of the, the ceiling. You want him in the four fives at least or lower. For his size, 6'2", 203 pounds. Or, no, that's wrong. That's for she Rice, excuse me. At his size, 6'3", 215 pounds. That's a perfectly acceptable, quite nice 40 time. Looked really smooth in, in his route running and the drills. So that that's a guy that stood out to me. And, and he's going to be a, a budget for somebody in the second or the third round. Yeah. I, I think he's got a, a lower ceiling than some, but he could be a – like he could be the best wide receiver two on a team in the league. I don't, sure. I don't, I'm not sure he's got the wide receiver one ceiling that, that you might want, but he could be, he could be Corey Davis in 2019 to Corey Davis to the AJ Brown on a team. If you get that wide receiver one in there to be able to, to lessen the load, lessen the focus on a Cedric Tillman, he could be fantastic. Let me look at the list of receivers here for my, my second guy. And the last guy we'll talk about, you know what? This is an interesting yeah. one. I don't know if I liked it, per se, but I found it interesting. Zay Flowers, a yeah, guy that a good has been talked about all draft or excuse me, all combine long because of the fact that he came in about 
12 pounds heavier and it was all muscle mass that he had put on. Um, I don't know if you've seen this before and after picture of him from right before the draft. Yeah. He, he, he got significantly bigger. And for a guy who is, I think he weighed, uh, he measured in at five, nine and two, eight or something like that, just over five, nine and, uh, and now 183, 85, 183 pounds. He needed to put on a little extra weight, ran well, looked nice and smooth in, in, in running the routes. But I, I do find his height concerning because he just physically or, you know, visually looking at him out there amongst the guys doing the drills. He's, he's definitely, definitely small for a receiver. We can all just give two word answer for the worst data, right? It's all, a, we all, we are all probably yes. in agreement. Yes. I believe that would be. Kayshawn Boutier. Yeah. yeah. Or is it Boutier or Boutier? Boutier. Boutier. Okay. I trust you, the former college writer. It, he's an enigma of a prospect. He didn't run well. I think he ran a 564, 562 or something like that. I his don't second, think it started with five. His, or, excuse me, four. four <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's actually been kicked out. He can't run. He's he been a fraud this whole time. He didn't finish. Yeah. No. A four, a four, six, mid, mid four sixes. His second run was even worse. A high four, six, eight, I think. Um, was dropping balls, looked like in every drill he just didn't know what was going on. Yeah, bad, so strange. Bad day for Keishon Booty. And I, I still think he's a, a the second or third best performance I've ever seen by a college wide receiver was by Keishon Booty his freshman year. He put up like 315 or 320 against Ole Miss right. in a game where Max Johnson was playing quarterback. Right. He was superstar. The only player I've ever seen take over a game like that was Devontae Smith, mm-hmm. who, as I told you guys earlier, <laughs> I have the highest opinion of, of anybody in sports, but I don't know, guys, there's something off there. I've talked to a lot of friends of mine who still cover LSU and the, the depths of weirdness surrounding this. It's man. just weird. We, I, could, we could do another hour and a half on him, but all right, we won't, we won't, but, we won't. but maybe in the future, if we get really desperate for draft content, we can talk about cash on booty. We'll, we'll finish up today. We'll, we'll call that a show. We went long, um, but I feel like we had really great conversation and it's been a real pleasure having you, Nick. Um, we appreciate you, you giving your time. Hopefully you'll come back on the show someday. We'll, we'll have you on when we're all back in Nashville, but I'd be remiss without giving you an opportunity. Please plug all of the hard work that you've done this week. Tell the people of Nashville largely where they need to go and read your work. Yeah. The show is called Buffy the Vampire. So <laughs> you can, you can watch all seven seasons on Amazon and Hulu, but right. um, if you want to read my work, Tennessean.com, you can follow me at, on Twitter at Nick Suss. That's N I C K S U S S. And you can probably just find me hanging around in Nashville, <laughs> some places. Hey, where's Nick? He's just around. I'm, I'm just, I'm he's places. about, um, yeah. if you're interested in any of the stuff we've talked about today, I've written about the offensive linemen. I've written about the quarterbacks. I've written about the receivers. I've, I've touched on just about everything. And you might also find some of my work in the Knoxville News Sentinel. I wrote some stories this week that I'm proud of about Hendon Hooker, about Jalen Hyatt, about Cedric Tillman. And I mean, I, I've tweeted a couple of times. <laughs> I, I've learned my lesson about trying to have a personality on Twitter before mm. people know who you are. Mm-hmm. They're going to they're gonna get mad at you. But yeah, go ahead. Give me a follow. Tell your friends. Read my stories. Make, make me like three thirds or a third of a cent i guess mm-hmm. for every click right i i really do it goes straight into my bank account if you click that i get an alert that's like hey nick sus you are one fourth of a penny richer and uh, and then you just jump for joy and i'm i'm newly married i've got to pay off a lot of stuff you guys <laughs> yeah. i i really need you yeah. this is me begging you please please give me your money and give them some money too that's it's right. okay you can give them money uh-huh. but mostly me i 
subscribe to the Tennessean. It's like $1 for six months. It's a long time. Like you're paying $12 a month for HBO Max. I'm asking for $1 for like six months of stories, not just about the Tennessee Titans, but about all the sports in the state of Tennessee and also about all of the news in the state of Tennessee. And I don't know if you've noticed, but there's a lot of news that's happening. There's a lot of news in in Tennessee mm-hmm. with like legislation and trials and mm-hmm. things and much storms. much less fun than, and, and, than and talking like, about football. And like right. things you need to know. And my coworkers uh, don't plug shows from the WB created by disgraced television writers 25 years ago instead of trying to sell them. That's so, a nice trait. Yeah. So yeah, I like they, guys that don't do that. Yeah, they they never do that. Never have that. As opposed to me, who will also like sell you on. Uh, what else do you want me to plug? Just name like a, a, a faction of like pop culture or history and I can do a plug <laughs> uh, for it. The, your favorite style of songs to sing a karaoke. Yeah, yeah. If you guys want to listen to a song called um, Space Age Love Song by A Flock of Seagulls, people tend to think A Flock of Seagulls is a one hit wonder. <laughs> they think of Iran. It's a good song. But Space Age Love Song, one of the best uh, emotional pop songs of the early 80s. And gosh, it'll, it'll get you going. And just go go listen to A Flock of Seagulls, uh, British New Wave Act from the early 80s. They, they will, they'll make you feel a lot of feelings. And Space Age Love Song, a personal favorite of both mine and my wife. You'll be doing them a huge favor. They, they haven't been relevant in... 40 years, 45 years. Let, let's get them back on the charts, guys. Mm. Let's let's hear it for a flock of seagulls. Yeah, a flock of seagulls. Let's, let's hear it. I, I wasn't aware that you're a professional plugger. That's fantastic. So and I can I'll vouch for the fact that Nick's a very, a very good writer. You should go read his work. Go check it out. That's gonna be it for us today. Like I said, we've got one more live show for tomorrow. We'll be reacting to the super exciting Nick's not going because he doesn't find it entertaining, but I do because I'm a sicko. We're going to go watch the running backs and the big boy linemen do their athletic testing tomorrow afternoon. And that will wrap up our 2023 combine coverage. We'll do a live show and then we'll head back to Nashville and probably do a show or two wrapping up all our thoughts from the week. By the way, we've got shows out every single day for the past five days covering everything else from the combine. If you're not updated on that, go check those shows out. And of course, go check out all of our uh, other work at broadwaysportsmedia.com. That's going to be it for today. I'm your host, Easton Freeze, for our special guest, Nick Suss from the Tennessean and producer JT. Thank you for tuning in. We appreciate you listening, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow.